And thank you for inviting me. Uh, the answer will always be yes, if I can. And uh, I, I, and I know that you, any of you who teach or anything like that, the preparation for speaking or teaching is is much more abundant than than what actually comes out in the in the final product. Yeah. So we're going to be looking at First John. Okay. I've I've been living in First John for a while and. And one of my favorite books of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4 this morning. And um, let me pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is simple. First of all, we're just so grateful that you have given us your word and down through faithful men teaching others who are faithful passing it on Lord through the direction of your spirit in our lives how you make the word of God shine brightly Lord this morning my, my prayer is that your word would do your work in our hearts Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so I, I kind of envision preaching like a, a waiter at a restaurant. My goal is to get the food to the people without messing it up. <laughs> okay. And uh, so let's look at, at uh, 1 John because I think that it's... It, John, in, as a as a man, is very interesting character to me, and there's a lot of characters uh, both in the Old and New Testaments that that capture our attention one way or another. John was the was the last man standing. I mean, he was he was the last one standing, and he had a long long ministry. Um, if you'll recall, there was a destruction. Of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD and for the it, it caused a lot of people to be scattered throughout the the known kingdom at the time I believe that's when John kind of moved on up north towards the churches in Asia Minor and they became his ministry um, he was close to Ephesus and he stayed there until his exile. And for, so for the next 25 years, all of the Asian churches were under his personal care, his personal concerns. And he moved among them like a father does with his children. Giving them wisdom. Giving them the word. There was a pressure rising up during this time of false teaching of different kinds. One of the larger ones was Gnosticism. And it became heavy. So he wrote to the church to warn them of his heresy and to assure them of their salvation. It's one of the reasons why I like going to this book because he deals with the hope we have in Christ, the assurance we can have in Christ. And so... 
Uh, we also know that uh, Irenaeus, who was born about 45 years after John's death, composed a major volume that was, a, that was particularly written to combat against Gnosticism. He informs us in that work that John wrote to remove the error taught by Cerinthius and the Nicolaitans, and John mentions these people, these groups, in, in Revelation, his work in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. But he didn't, when John wrote this letter, he did not write it to the Gnostics to open up a dialogue or a debate. That wasn't his point. No, he wrote it to the believers. And he wrote it to them in order to enable them to better discern truth and error. And he did this by setting forth two fundamental tests to prove that someone is in fact a child of God. And here's the two tests that he uses over and over again in this, in this letter. Do you believe in correct doctrine, correct teaching, and do you live righteously, loving the brethren? It's the second test that we find ourselves looking at in this passage in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. How can one be sure that they know that they are a Christian? By loving one another. Do you love one another? Sounds simple. There is a uh, statement called a, a uh, well, it's a, it's a propositional statement. It's a statement that's true across all eras, across all cultures. I could be in Bangladesh and make this statement and it would be just as true as it would be in Mexico City or here. It's that kind of... I could make this statement in, in 1200 AD or 1200 BC. It's still a true statement. And here it is. And these statements, by the way, that are like that are based in Scripture. <laughs> or it probably wouldn't be true like that. Here, here it is. Displaying a sacrificial, selfless love toward others is one of the primary pieces of evidence that one is truly born of God. Displaying a sacrificial, selfless love toward others is one of the primary pieces of evidence that one is truly born of God. Where does this kind of love come from and who has this kind of love? And how can we know if we have this kind of love? Well, John answers these questions by making three assertions of truth. The first one, he, he, he asserts that God is love. And secondly, he asserts that only those who are in Christ can have this love. And finally, he makes the claim, the assertion, that it is the Spirit of God residing in us that produces this love. So let's start with his first assertion. The assertion that God is love, or the revelation of God's love. 
in verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, he goes into detail, or actually he expounds upon what he's already said in chapter 3, where he said, This is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of God and love one another just as he commanded us. So he's just expanding upon this and he proceeds to give two reasons why we are to love one another. He says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So his first reason is because love is from God. It originates from God. He didn't say that God is loving. He said that love is from Him. The second reason He gives, He gives both a positive and a negative. He says everyone who loves is two things, born of God and knows God. So He's born of God because God is the only one who can produce this love in you. And this person knows God. So the first reason... The positive reason that he gives is that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The second one is the one who does not love does not know God. It's like as though I, because I've already stated God is love. So if you don't know, if you don't love, you don't know God. It's like when... Um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and I quote, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. He could have said, Leave me, you who practice who you who do not love one another. You who do not even know my father, because you don't love. We are to love one another. So John establishes here without a doubt that God is love and that he is the source of love. But who has this kind of love? Well, John asserts that only those who are in Christ have this kind of love. So in verse 9, he says, By this, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So by this, the love of God was manifested or exposed. In other words, something was made known that was not previously known. Now it's known. It's exposed. By what? He says, by this, the love of God is made known. So by what is the love of God made known? And he goes on. That the Son of God, the God, the Son that God sent, His only Son, who was sent into this cursed world. Why? So
so that we might live through Him. What a blessed truth that is. That God sent His Son into this cursed world that we might live through Him. He goes on in more detail in verse 10. And it's like He's saying, let me put this another way. Make it a little clearer. This is love. Not that we loved God, for we are incapable of that in our own state, in our own sinful state. So this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Why did He send His Son? He says, to be the propitiation for our sins. Don't let that word propitiation scare you. It is simple. It's, it, it contains two things. The wrath of God being removed and us being rec fully reconciled to Him. When Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, He removed the wrath of God to the side and gave us complete reconciliation with God. That's what He did. That's why we know He loves us. So, He takes this information and He draws a, a very nice application with it. In verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It's real simple. It just, it follows. It naturally follows. But how many times do we see ourselves or find ourselves or create a situations where it's difficult to love? And we're having to make hard choices. It's easy here in this church where everybody loves with each other to say this. But not out there. It's not the same. And this is what John's bringing home to them that beloved if God so loved us we ought also to love one another Christ is our supreme example of love is he not can you love those who do not show love to you Christ did can you love the unlovely Christ did can you love before someone turns to love you? Christ did. Can you love, period, without any thought of anything in return? Christ did. But let's not forget what Paul told the Romans in his letter to them in chapter 5 where he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the first assertion John makes in this passage is that God is love. The second assertion is that is the only, only those who are in Christ have this love and finally, he asserts that it is the Spirit of God in us that produces this love. Or we might say, it's the record or the proof of God's love in us. 
What is the evidence? What is the proof that you have God's love in you? Verse 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. Have any of you seen God? I, I hope not because it just said in the Bible that you haven't. No one has seen God at any time. Can we see God with a physical eye? How do we see God? We see Him as we witness His children showing love to one another. We see the evidence of the Spirit of God working in people's lives, changing them, and making them love in a way they could never love before. An unnatural love. Some kind of sacrificial, unconditional, unnatural, crazy love. Where others can't. They could try to produce it mimic it in one way or another but it's not have you seen God this past week have you guys seen God this past week what have you done what are you planning to do to show God to others how about beginning each day with this simple prayer dear Lord how can I show you to the world around me? How can people around me see God? Because of the love that you have showing through me. He goes on to explain the concept, using the concept of abiding here in verse 15. If we love one another, two things are true. Let me read verses 15 and 16 here. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have, be and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So God abides in us. His love is perfected or completed in us. Look at verse 17. By this, speaking of what he just mentioned, the abiding in love, abiding in God, God abiding in you. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. So this is how we know if the Spirit of God dwells in our heart. Now look down here at, the, at verse 21, the last verse of this chapter, which says, And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And so it's... He puts it simply... He spells it out so clearly. But we find it so difficult to carry out at times. And this is why it's so important for us to stay close to Christ. To stay in the Spirit. To stay uh, 
what what a friend of mine used to say, uh, are you on prayer ground? <laughs> uh, are you in a position where you can pray and God hear you? What have we here then is that God is the source of love. Christ is the supreme example of love. And the Spirit of God produces love in our lives. Thus, proving to the world that we are indeed followers of Jesus Christ. This is the test of love. Did we, do we pass? Do we pass the test that John puts out here for us? Do you have this kind of love? Do you find yourself trying to conjure up some kind of an emotion that you label as love? How do people know if you are a Christian? We live in very crazy times. Could you agree with that? With me on that? Crazy times. Getting crazier by the moment. What a, I can't think of a more important time for God's love to shine forth brighter and brighter through His people. So as I said earlier, let me say it again. Displaying a sacrificial, selfless love toward others is one of the primary pieces of evidence that one is truly born of God. We know where this kind of love comes from. It comes from God. We know who has it. It's those who are in Christ. And we know that they have it. Because the Spirit of God is living it in and through them. And we see God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is one of the concepts in Scripture that You have taught us over and over and over again. And I know why You do that. It's because we're stubborn. I just pray, Lord, that You would take this and other passages in Your Word. Bring them home to our hearts. And may we anchor ourselves to the throne of God and spend each day shortening the rope, drawing closer and closer to You each and every hour and minute of our lives. And Lord, through this congregation, through these people, that You would take us and make us love in such a way that the world cannot help but see Christ and Him crucified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.